Hey, hey, it's Andy Yanez, and you're listening or watching to another episode of Let's Rage Cougs. We have a lot to dissect in Houston's, uh, what a, there's so, <laughs> there's so many ways to describe uh, what happened in Dallas. Uh, really, both of these teams were playing in Atlas because there was no D that was played tonight. Um, but we'll get like more that. into that. We'll get more into that. Obviously, of course, congratulations to the Houston Astros in the city of Houston clinching their second straight world or not second straight but clinching their second franchise world series championship once again you're listening to let's rage cruise on going <laughs> and now the saxinian family presents let's rage cruise streaming on the houston round ball review youtube channel As always, joining me today on Dunlap, first and most, more importantly, how are you doing, sir? Oh, man, I can't complain. I can't complain. I'm raging right now. I'm ready to rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we pick the name for this show, there's so many different ways you can interpret that name. Let's Rage Cougs. I'm assuming a lot of fans that, that are taking time to be able to watch us and and support the channel, the show, or have a certain different definition of rage. But obviously, let's get right into it. First and foremost, Houston. Uh, their three-game winning streak was snapped. They fell to SMU in Dallas, 77 to 63. That's right. This, this is the two football teams that played. This wasn't the men's basketball team. This wasn't the women's basketball team. Obviously, both of the basketball teams will tip off this upcoming week. This was football, 77 to 63. Record set all over the place. Uh, when it comes to both the offense and defense, from a Houston perspective, quarterback Clayton Toon finished 36 of 53, 527 yards, threw seven touchdowns, but threw three interceptions, which ultimately ended up being the difference in this game, which is crazy. The offense put up 63 points, and that wasn't enough to seal the win. The receivers for Houston, incredible. Nathaniel Tank Dell had 13 catches for 188. 180 yards, two touchdowns. Keyshawn Carter had 136 receiving yards, one touchdown. Once again, it was not enough. Uh, Dale, just your overall thoughts on this game. We're going to be bringing in uh, Ryan Monceau as well from gokus.com. But, Dale, take it away first. Can we re- Let's bring Ryan in. Let- let's bring Ryan in. I'll, Ryan, I'll, are you I'll... ready to go? He is ready. So... Yeah, let's bring Ryan in. Let's I'm, go, I'm Ryan. What's up, Ryan? What's I want to Ryan first. Go ahead, Andy. Go ahead, Ryan. First of all, how are you doing? I am fantastic. I'm sick as – can I curse on this? I'm sick as hell. <laughs> and yeah, go. Uh, I've got kind of a, a NyQuil loop going on. So if this just goes off the rails, cut me off. And oh, go ahead. Nobody will even know. Uh, my sound is all goofy. Let's try this. There we go. Uh it's just hard to imagine. U of H was one of five on third down today. One of five. How does that happen? How do you only have five third down attempts? How do you only have one make on third down and you score 63 points? <laughs> How do you give up nine straight touchdowns? Nothing about today made sense. I also heard there was a baseball game. Uh, <laughs> No, yeah, right. I, I just don't understand. You you had seven hundred yards and lost. I've never heard of anything like that. Me either. It, it's unimaginable, <laughs> man. That just like you just said, Ryan. Nothing about this game made sense. Um, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. I mean, it kind of knew that the costly turnover that Houston had, that was kind of going to be the difference maker. I mean, the defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. It was just, it was just like, whether it's 
passing, but I, I got to give Mordecai some credit. He made some unbelievable throws, though, like put it in places to where only his receiver could make a catch. I got to give him some credit because he played lights out. But at the same time, I was just watching that game and really was just, just like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I've never seen nothing like that. I, I, he made some great throws. He did. But early in the game, he had guys with 20-yard wow. space all around him. And you and I and maybe Andy could make those throws. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I, I mean, to, to, on the flip side, the, 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 when Clayton Toon took off a few times in the first quarter, he had 40 or 50 yards around him. It was like SMU didn't even have 11 guys on the field. Yeah. And I just – I really want to go and watch this film. I'm looking at the score in front of me, and it doesn't – I mean, it's just like, what basketball game was I watching? Yeah. <laughs> SMU only scored seven points in the third quarter. I've gone back, like, mentally trying to think about all the times U of H has scored 70 or had 70 scored on them. And the only time that I can think that somebody had seven or fewer points in a quarter in a 70-point game was – U of H beat Tulane 73 to 14 or something in 2011 and didn't score in the first quarter. And they scored 35 in the second. And I think this was the second time ever U of H has had 35 scored on them in a quarter. Michigan did it in 1994. And it's just, I mean, it's hard to score 35 points in a quarter, uh, but they did. Let alone 56 at half. Like, which is the most U of H has ever given up at a half. I went, I did the research on that and it had never happened. They've given up 49 twice, uh, but never 56. So, I mean, let's get right into, into that defense. Cause obviously it's a defensive problem. Um, in particular, I mean, right. You mentioned it first nine drives for SMU, all nine of those first nine drives and in a touchdown. And it was, it, I mean, it was absurd. Most of them were passing touchdowns. They looked like SMU could do, Whatever wanted, particularly in the passing game now, um, like we like Dan said, give credit to Mordecai because I mean he that's just arm talent that's him executing. But my God, I mean at some point, even you would imagine, even by luck, you'd be able to to look into a stop. It, it, one one of the times uh, when it seemed like Houston had held serve and they had finally uh, forced to stop SMU, ran the fake punt and converted on fourth down regardless and continued to get doing. I, I just like you guys have mentioned, great. that was great coaching right there. Oh, absolutely. It caught Houston. It caught, completely caught Houston off guard. But mm-hmm. from my perspective, I mean, I, I just don't understand how is it just not being able to execute? Was it just not being prepared? Like, what what, what could that have been? That's what I'm wondering. Just looking at the secondary, I mean, the scouting report, we heard um, Doug Bell talk about, um, of course, Rice, the number one receiver, and Mordecai, like them going through those two players. But it just looked like the the secondary just looked lost. And that's been Houston Achilles here all season has been the secondary. And so the secondary really just looked lost. I mean, wide open receivers in the times where they had third downs or seemed like they would get a stop, Mordecai would make a really, really nice play, a good throw. One time they allowed him for a scramble. But those times, just the secondary, it seemed like I don't know if they didn't understand the assignment, just coverages to communicate. I don't know what it was, but the secondary did not come to play. Whatever it was, they did not come to play. The secondary, when they watched that film, man, 
Do you watch that film or do you throw that film away? What do you do as a coach with that film? <laughs> you burn it. <laughs> I would watch it. I would but too. I've I got a little too. bit of a masochist thing going on. Um, there's been injuries, right? But everybody has injuries. I think the Derek Parrish injury has changed the face of the defense, and I don't think it's gotten enough credit. Uh, I think Parrish still leads the team in tackles for loss. He hasn't played in six weeks. And that just shows you how much he did so early in the season. Now, the UTSA game, the Texas Tech game, the Rice game, they played kind of a prevent defense, especially in the secondary, that allowed those teams to come back to make those last-minute drives. I felt like you saw that all day today. And they, they – obviously, the offensive coaches saw something in the SMU defense running on them very early, trying to soften some things up. But clearly, SMU saw something in, in Houston's defense – and took advantage of it all day. Uh, they ran the ball very well. I mean, we didn't, I don't even think we saw Brandon Campbell today. Uh, Stacy Sneed had just a couple of runs, but I don't think I saw Campbell. Uh, and then Toon ran it well early, but you just they pretty much gave up on the running game in the second half. They gave up on it. I mean, I don't think 10% of the plays were runs. Uh, it just – there's so much to answer for, but we know Dana's not going to answer for it. He's not going to give anything away. He's not going to – he may throw somebody under the bus, but I that. doubt it. Yeah, I mean, he can, but he's also good at walking it back. Um, and he's going to know that you said that. He's going to know. <laughs> uh, somebody's going to tell him. Uh, but I, I just I, – I'm at a loss for what I saw tonight. Uh, I'm an LSU guy, and so I saw that ending, and I saw our ending, and then I saw the Astros, and it's been kind of a, a – and then, you know, got the NyQuil going on. So it's been kind of a weird night. But 77 points is just hard to, to imagine. And just straight-up defensive uh, just miscues all over the place. You, you made a great point, Ryan, and I want to go back to – yeah, that's the impact of, of Parrish. Um, I didn't even think about that, but I agree with you 100%. I think just his relentlessness, his energy, I think – I don't want to say the team – I mean, I don't know how the, the right way to put it, but I think the way you said it, they're definitely missing him for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still have talent on on the edge, but just the relentlessness, the passion, the – Everything that he plays with, I don't know. Also, the leadership as well. I know he's probably right, still on yeah. the sideline talking to him, but they definitely 100% miss him, 100%. I didn't even think about that, but that was a really, really good point. They definitely miss him. Yeah, I think uh, between him and Mutant, that's the heartbeat of your defense. Yeah. 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 And you're missing – I mean, Derek Parrish, I was not high on him two years ago and saw just a vast improvement last year. And then this year he's an animal. He was doing it with an oven mitt on yeah. in the first game. <laughs> I mean, it looked ridiculous. The second game, I think he went to a, just a regular kind of cast and took over in that game uh, against Texas tech. But obviously that got away from him, but 
he has meant so much to this defense, and and they're missing him. And I, in that uh, bandit position on the outside, he was just the best that that they had this year. Uh, he was going to follow in the the footsteps of of Peyton Turner and those guys. Um, and and I like the Anthony Jones quite a bit. I like Nelson Caesar quite a bit. But I, I think they're much better if they had Derek Parrish on the other side. Yeah, and I, and I like both of them as well. DeAnthony Jones, he led them in sacks last year. He primarily was a third-down rusher. And Correct. so it, it isn't the lack of talent because Caesar and Jones have the talent. I think it's just those other measurables that you can't put on the stat sheet that, that Parrish brings to the table, along yeah. with talent. He has talent too, so I'm not undermining his talent at all. But – it's just the things that that doesn't make the stat sheet that that he does well, whether it's taking on blocks, being in controlling his gap assignments, just playing one hundred percent every time, every snap, and energy, just all of those things. And so, man, that I didn't even think about that, but they definitely missing one hundred percent, man. And to add on to both of your guys' points, uh, Derek Parrish is still leading the team with eight and a half tackles for loss coming into the game. Anthony Jones, he had seven and a half coming into the game. He had one against SMU, so I guess he's officially tied Derek yeah. Parrish. But I mean, think yeah, about Anthony it. Anthony had a, a sack early in the game that was with it looked like it was going to be big, and I think they busted one. The they next had a play. huge play the next play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and and that was the story really of the whole game. And particular, I felt like the defensive line, especially in the first half, they they had bright moments, but they, it it seemed like anytime they had some positive momentum, it was immediately uh, just obliterated by the SMU offense with a big play. And I, and it was one of the biggest issues that we saw early on in the season, in particular going back to that Kansas game, um, the inability to be able to stop you know giant chunk plays. And right now, SMU was running all over the field against Houston. And it wasn't just that they were going on these long drives and they were cutting up the Houston defense. No, they were striking with quick plays. I think I can't remember um, what the TV broadcast said, but they most of, I guess I'll pull up all the drives real quickly. Um, the length of these drives, like there is not a single drive. There's only one that is over four minutes long. And that was yeah. a Houston drive. So that these were quick scores. These offenses were just marching um, they were scoring with big plays. It's not like they were going on long drives, and and that was that was crazy, and that just added to to the lore of this game. There were thirty eight big plays, which are fifteen yard passes, fifteen or more, or ten or y- more yards rushing. Thirty eight. That's insane. Uh, SMU had twenty, Houston had eighteen, and it accounted for six hundred or seven hundred yards. Uh, out of the game, U of H could not tackle in the in the the first level, the second level. It didn't matter. There were so many missed tackles. I think it's going to be the most we've seen all year. Um, there were some horrible games early on, but I think this was the worst they looked in finishing a tackle. And that's what they did well over the three game winning streak was tackle well. And so, yeah. man, that's that's another great point. But what about the turnovers? Kevin, you want to talk about the offense, Andy? You want to keep going, or you want to stay on the defense now? Yeah, no, let's let's go to the turnover because that's a great yeah, point. That, it's it, it's crazy to think about in a game where you put up sixty three points that um, the difference in the game could have been those turnovers. But certainly, I, I know the last interception came at the very the final drive, but you could throw that one in there. But uh, before that, Tune had back to back 
interceptions in the second quarter. And the first one was kind of really like uh it was a bit of a bang bang. It was a, it was an overthrow. A Keyshawn Carter had in his hands and popped up, goes straight to to the safety, and he picks it off. On the next is again an issue that that we brought up in the past day on a. Uh, Clayton Toon was staring down who he was going to go to and made a perfect read uh, by Nick Roberts, and it got picked off again. So back-to-back plays trying to target. Um, they really jump-started SMU. They were able to continue in the score, which, first of all, the Houston defense wasn't able to stop them, but it, it didn't allow Houston to try to match, and that's really that was a difference in the game the whole time. Houston was trying to make up those two interceptions. Yeah, and, I mean, those turnovers – I mean, Clayton played good, so I'm not going to really criticize him too much outside of those turnovers. It was very hurtful. Specifically, how the game went, and the defense couldn't get a stop. And so, I mean, you just can't – one of those turnovers was just a great defensive play, zone coverage, cornerback read his eyes and made a great play. So, I, I can't – I'm, I'm going to give the defense credit on that one, but – and and that last one, that was just Clayton trying to make a play. So that one, the game was already over at that point. But the turnover was was costly. It was costly. And that was almost really the turning point of the game because neither defenses showed up, like you said, Andy. Neither defenses really showed up. Offenses moved the ball at will. But <clears throat> for Clayton, I mean, it's really hard to really criticize him too much because he played he played pretty good for the most part of the game outside of the turnovers in which it, yeah. if you could eliminate those I mean who know what the chips fall uh, who know what happened what's the outcome of the game but those turnovers were very costly right, he threw for over 500 yards he had seven <laughs> yeah. touchdowns Yeah, uh, it's hard to pick that apart yeah um, the one interception that you gave the defense credit for, I think he just locked in too fast and too yeah. hard. And yeah. you can't do that. Uh, even against a, a Ole defense like you were playing against SMU. I mean, they, they've got guys on scholarship too. Uh, but yeah, I think Clayton, he once again had enough time. This was a game I thought that perhaps – he was going to have a little bit more time having or having a more difficult time to throw, but it wasn't, it was just like the last three weeks, the last three weeks, you've just faced kind of mediocre talent this week. I think they're more talented, but the offensive line did a great job, especially that right side that I think has been a, a real problem this year. Uh, I, I don't know that he was sacked. I don't recall. Um, well, I mean, he, he threw for 500 he was, yards. He was sacked once. One time? Okay. Or twice, but, twice, actually. Okay. So, he's had, I think, seven sacks in five games. And from where he started, I mean, he was sacked ten times in the Army game. He was sacked five times by Memphis, four times, uh, three or four more times since he's become a starter. I mean, he's used to being on the ground. And for him to go this long – and, I mean, he, t- he threw the ball 50-some-odd times. So, you're going to take a sack or two. Uh, yeah. So, I don't have any problem with the way he played. Yeah. He certainly did not lose it for you. Yep. The coaches put it all on him. Yep. There was no desire to run the ball. Um, they, they did not try to play their, their normal keep-away offense as they had done in the past. Mm. I don't know why that changed. Uh, I mean, I know you realize you think you have to stay up 
But if you slow the game down yeah. in their thinking. You limit their possessions. Right. Uh, well, it turns out they limited their own possessions because they, <laughs> they, they scored so fast. So fast, yeah. Um, uh, that would be the one thing. SMU, I love Rhett Lashley. I have since he was at Springdale High School. He was with Gus uh, Malzahn for a long time. And I thought he could have been a good coach for U of H a few hires ago. Never happened. No big deal. But I would be so agitated if I were an SMU fan that the few times that their offense did not score a touchdown was because he just he started running the ball right up the middle. Yeah. And it was like, that's not – what are you doing? And all of a sudden, it's third and ten, and you've got to make a play. And it just didn't make any sense to me. It, two of the most baffling drives I've seen all year were by SMU today. And they scored 77 points. <laughs> well, let's uh, have a quick segue first. Um, before we transition back to the defense, I want to give a shout-out to – uh, one of our sponsors in Hoop and Holler, the Houston Sports Micro Collective. You see their banner in the corner of the screen there. And obviously, of course, a shout out to our primary sponsor by uh, the Saxonian family. And this is a question posed by Chris Butner, one of our viewers on YouTube. Obviously, with his performance on the defense, he asked, should Buck even have a job the rest of the year or even after, or even next year? Question mark with the, with the question, uh, obviously, with the performance of the defense against SMU and really uh, – the really disappointing follow-up to the strong season the defense had a season ago. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's too – I think so. I mean, of course, if their defense had a bad showing, but his future is so bright, and the way that Coach Holston has talked about the talent, he has talked about the talent, not my words. He has spoken about the talent on the team. And so, um, in my opinion, I think – of course you criticize him. He deserves a lot of criticism for the defense that he put out on the field, whether philosophy or whatever happened. They got all those points scored on his defense. But I think he's just such a promising coach. The way he's turned his defense around to what it was a couple of years ago, this was games like that, just about not to this Yeah, extent. going back to the 2019 season. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, I – I'm not a prisoner of the moment in regards to um, Doug Belg. I still think he has um, a very promising future um, as a coach. I, I wouldn't um, give up on him yet. I think he's a really smart guy. Yeah. And smart guys have bad days and bad years. People had anointed him as like getting a P5 head coaching job after this year, which yeah. I thought ridiculous, just insane. Um, you obviously have lesser talent than you had last year. Yep. Uh, Dana has repeatedly said this is we're, – we're still trying to get Big 12 talent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think Doug Belk is a really good coach. But you can't – you can't, you know, force guys, three-star guys to perform as five-stars. It just – you can't coach that. You still have to have the players. Yeah. But – this was not a good look. Kansas was not a good look. Yeah. The the last minute drives with UTSA and Texas Tech and Rice. Tulane in overtime. Good. Tulane in overtime. Right. I forgot about that. Um, I, th there's just there's just some bad, and yeah. it's going to be addressed, I assume. But Dana likes who he likes, and so with a big contract and with 
going into a new conference where your media rights are going to be pretty limited the first couple of years, there just may not be the money to start doing all these big buyouts. Yeah. I, even if there were, I don't think you're doing that. No, I agree. Absolutely. Especially with the, uh, the extension that they gave him after last year, um, it, it puts them towards the top. Uh, I think it puts them competitive with, with, with a lot of these other power five programs are paying their coordinators. Uh, <laughs> certainly when it comes to, uh, quote unquote, the group of five, um, he's towards the top when it comes to coordinators, but it was something that was asked. Um, but then that goes back to what kind of, if you would have to pinpoint an issue this year in regards to defense, is it just bad luck when it comes to, to health? I know that's a factor, but then even you know, week one when they played UTSA, they really struggled against the roadrunners. And like you mentioned at Texas Tech, um, the, really the play of the season early on, it was at fourth and 20. They had a chance to stop the Red Raiders. Had they gotten that fourth and 20 stop, they would have come out. They would have been 2-0 heading against Kansas. And we might be talking about a really different season. So even from the beginning, there was something off about the defense when the team was uh, much more healthier than it is now. I would say it's third downs. Yeah, They've just been horrible in third. You were number one in the country last year. Number one in the country in third down defense. And now you're going into today, you were 95th, I believe. And, I mean, that's a huge drop. Yeah. And that is a philosophy thing. That is a tackling thing. That is a penalty thing. I went and looked at stats on offensive scoring drives. It's going to be much different after today, but 11 of 25 offensive scoring drives by the other team have included a penalty or included a penalty for a first down. And if you're giving that much up and people are turning that into, into uh, scores, well, it's a huge problem. Damn, really? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. A, a huge problem. And another thing we talk about from last year, and another thing which is obvious from my opinion from last year is the talent. The talent is gone as far as comparing to last year and the statisticals um categories that they were able to reach and what they were able to success they were able to have. <clears throat> and so fast forward to now, I think you get rid of Belk, he goes to a, a good program with top tier talent, you'll get you'll see better results as far as defensively, just like what he got last year. But this year, no excuses. I don't know, lack of discipline, lack of what not being prepared, situational football, not executing in those plays. Cause some of that fourth and twenty six, like things like that, you you can't have that. Like, and so I mean you gotta you you gotta accept responsibility. Um, for some of that, but, but at the same time, some of it is talent, but at the same, same time, some of it has to be um, responsibility of the coaches to put your players in position to make plays. And so, and then uh, some of that as well is on the players because they're out on the field to make the plays as well. So you got to be mm-hmm. able to communicate. You got to, it's a lot of different factors that go into it, but overall um, I, I just don't think that, um, he, Doug Belk specifically, um, isn't preparing the team. So I, I, I can't really pinpoint it to one thing. I know it's a lot of different factors, but I just think that um, with more talent, he can he's proven that he can do a better job defensively. No excuses for this because it's piss poor 100%. So I don't want to sound like I'm excusing him at all. But I, we've seen proof in the pudding with better talent 
they, he can get it done. And Ryan, I, I know you were at the, the news conference, um, so you you heard, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. Um, it, it was probably a few months back, but um, Dana Hogerson talked about the, the depth in particular when it came to the defensive backs, and he said, you know, it wasn't coming along as well as he would have liked at that point in the year, which, again, just a comment like that. I'm curious to get your thoughts Um when you first heard it, um, what are your thoughts? You, it kind of it falls on Doug Belk when you hear the head coach say that. Maybe it does. But Dana doesn't give you much. Mm-hmm. But when he does, I, I don't always take it as just stone cold truth. Right. I think there's some motivation to it. I think there's different ways of sending messages. And – I mean, it turns out it, it's it's correct, but I don't know that everything that you're told in media press conferences is exactly what he's thinking. Yeah. Um, obviously, he was determined not to give anything away about opening up the offense a little bit a few weeks ago yeah. uh, and said that, no, we're not changing anything. Nothing's going to change. And then it changed. Now, I think personally, it changed because of who you were playing, the mm-hmm. level of opponent, the level of talent you were playing, not necessarily because he wanted to change it. Yep. Um, but uh, I, I just I don't read too much into anything anyone says like that. But I got a question for you guys. With Dana being the head coach and having that being the offensive mind that he is, and overall he sees the entire oversees the entire team. And so with having familiarity with um the offense of SMU, how much onus do you put on him as a head coach to help Doug Belk and the entire defensive staff prepare for a game plan to stop that offense? Well, he's in meetings for sure. But I Head coaches, especially in in what he's trying to do, are kind of zoom out guys. They're not zoom in. And I want my defensive coordinator and my position coaches zooming in. I want my head coach zooming out. Like, let's make sure we're good in situations. Let's make sure we're good on special teams. What do we got for third down? And what's our script for the first 15 plays? No micromanaging, basically. Absolutely not. Um, now that works for certain people, but I don't think it works for him. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I love that it's always sunny in your house, Dan. I really think that's nice. Uh, but yeah, I just don't. I, I he's not a micromanager. He's not a detail guy in that way. Um, and I think he works best when it's zoomed out. Yeah, and even going back to what he said a couple weeks ago when they asked him about, you know, the offense, which is coming into heading into Houston as what he was known for. Um, and he talked about he he he, he was had gotten burned out when it came to the play callings a season ago, um, handed off those duties. And again, going back into um, not being that micromanager, being more of a big picture guy is, is the way he phrased it. But I'll put it on that note, we'll leave it there because we do have to hear uh, from one of our other sponsors, Instar Pizza. Don't go anywhere. We'll be talking about one of the lone silver linings in this game, which was the receiving core and in the incredible game that multiple players had, not just Tank Dell. So don't go anywhere. You're watching, you're listening to Let's Rage Coop.
Thank you for calling Star Pizza. This is Tim. How am I help you? This is DA Jones. I'm calling to order some pizza. Hey, Mr. Jones. Same order as last time? Same order as last time. Okay, and the delivery address? Man, we over on Sac Ave. Sac Avenue? Let me see if we even deliver there. We right here on your map. All right, we'll see you in about 45 minutes an hour. Thanks. Hurry up. We hungry. I'm hungry, man. We eat the best pizza on Sac Ave. I'm okay, though. So, big props again to Star Pizza there. And uh, I want to shout out one of our other sponsors in Hoop and Holler, the Houston Sports Micro Collective, who is the entity behind that Star Pizza commercial. So, big shouts to them for being able to be a sponsor of the show. And a big shout out to our primary sponsor in the Saxonian family, who they have been a sponsor of the previous five football post-game shows. And I'd like to take this time to remind you guys that Let's Rage Cougs will be back for the first men's basketball postgame show this coming Monday, November 7th, when they take on, when the men's basketball team takes on Northern Colorado at home at the Fertitta Center, um, as they tip off a very, very exciting season. They have a lot of a buzz and anticipation for what could be uh, a strong season for the Cougars. But Ryan, Dayon, uh, like I mentioned prior to the commercial, we're going to talk about the receiving core, who, I mean, obviously starting from the top in Tank Dell, who, I mean, he's become... Mr. Reliable week in and week out, which um, isn't surprising what he had been able to do in the past, particular last season. But really, it's kind of seemed like he stepped his game up during not only the winning streak, but even in this game, he carried, he had 13 catches, 180 yards, two touchdowns, which, I mean, not surprising with the way the, the offense were just exploding across both teams. But Keyshawn Carter, he was another receiver that continued his strong play. He had eight catches, 136 yards. He had a touchdown. And the return of Matthew Golden, who had missed the last few games due to a rib injury. I mean, he was able to plug back in and make plays. I think what's probably, and I'll toss it over to you guys, but what's more promising when it comes to a receiver standpoint, I think that receiving core overall would probably be the one position if you have to pick um, as power five ready. That's probably the position that would be it, in my opinion. Um, but just overall, top to bottom, that you still saw you saw Matt Golden get inserted back into the lineup, but you still saw Keyshawn Carter, Sam Brown. He had six catches for 54 yards, and he had two touchdowns. You still saw Carter Brown making plays along with Golden, and obviously you know what Tank is going to bring to the table night in and night out. Um, before you go, Ryan, we got to plug GoCougs.com. They got excellent, great, great, great content over there. The Jamal Shed Journal that you've been putting out. Make sure you guys go check out GoCougs, man. Great, great content. I had to plug that in, but go ahead, Ryan. Thank you. And Jamal has done such a phenomenal job for us. Juwan Roberts is going to have his own essay uh, Monday. And then we've got an interview with Kellen Sampson. Uh, that'll go live at some point. Um, but it is <laughs> phenomenal stuff. I have, I've never enjoyed doing something more than working with the basketball players this season. It's just a, it's a different level of person, if that makes any sense. They, yeah. They're just so much quality uh, yeah. among that team and, and just good guys. And they want it. They want to do this. They think of this as their project, and it's been quite a bit of fun. And uh, we get to keep it throughout the season. Uh, I believe is that Tank Dell's most catches 
at U of H. I think it is. I'd have to go yeah. back and look. I mean, it's yeah. got to be – if it's not, it's right close. I just don't think he's had that many. Uh, and I I guess he was pretty close. He was maybe 15 targets. But that will be in his stats when we get that later. Um, Kishan Carter is the guy that I am most interested in. What – he is developing into he got hot last year and then had an injury and this year he is he's he's turning into a kind of a big play guy i always thought of tank dell as closer to a possession receiver he's going to get you that first down he's going to score touchdowns he's obviously he's got uh 12 uh but there needs to be an over-the-top guy and Dell can be that, don't get me wrong. But I want another big play guy, and I think Kashawn Carter is, is showing you that. Matthew Golden, probably not coming on as fast as Dana would have thought, but he's still a very, very good player. And Sammy Brown, I'm so interested to see as he continues to grow. Cody Jackson left the program, so there's an opportunity for him to be that third or fourth guy. Um, and then you've got Christian Trahan, who scored in the second half. And it's 10 and 2 on the coin toss, which has to be a world record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Andy. I think the receiving core is definitely um, P5 ready. Um, you look at just the young names that you do mention with Brown, Golden, can't forget Man Jack in there. But Keyshawn Carter, I was watching that game and I was um, thinking, just like you, Ryan, I was like, he's really coming into his own. And early in the season, I think Golden was taking snaps away from him. Um, early in the season because he wasn't getting as many snaps as he is now. Then when Golden went out, he's really stepped up his game a lot. And he's been a, a big difference maker. That touchdown that he made where he mossed the defender, that was a huge, huge touchdown and, and a really big play. One-on-one coverage, he beat this man and he made the play. And so I really, really liked what I've seen from him. I, I kind of wish he would have played earlier in the season and made some of those plays. But He's been electric, but overall, man, I think the receiving core has been has been really good. I mean, Sam Brown, I think he's a great complement to Tank, um, to um, Matthew Golden, and to Sam Carter because he's he's a bigger receiver, more possession receiver, can win those 50-50 balls downfield. And also, I think he can, he's a good route runner as well. And so I think the receiving core, Houston has always had good receivers, man. I think that's really going to continue going forward overall. That's definitely the least of my concerns um, offensively from the skill position. I think running back, um, Corey said as well. And so the talent skill-wise, I think, is in a good place. Real quickly, Ryan, before I toss it back to you, um, you guys were right. The 13 catches are a new career high for Tank Dell. The previous was only 10. He did it twice yeah. when he had actually just done it uh, a few Last weeks week, ago right? against Memphis yeah. um, okay. where he had 10 catches. And then he also set a new career high for receiving yards in the game um, with 180 against SMU tonight. His previous high was 165 against SMU a season ago. Obviously, that game was much different for Houston than this one did. But, yeah, absolutely. He just really among the, the record-breaking night. And a lot of it, Houston was on the bad end. But that's, again, the silver lining. That was a, a positive record-breaking in, in favor of Houston. Yeah. Uh, I really think, man, Jack, that loss has propelled Kashawn Carter. Uh, man, Jack was getting a lot of playing time. He was getting a lot of touches. And... I really like his game. I like what he can do. Uh, I think next year he, him and Deshaun and 
and Matthew Golden will be a really good nucleus for a new quarterback. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna hit the ground running with TCU in week three, and I think Texas in week five. Uh, it's gonna be a, a difficult sled next year, yeah. but I think Manjack is a really good player and he's going to add a lot to this team yeah absolutely now um i was scrolling through a few of the comments and right i don't know if you got the chance to see that but in orbit i said that jamal shed journal is awesome so uh right. <laughs> big big I mean, shots it's, but... I, it's it's some of the best stuff i've ever seen and i agree i have gotten nothing but compliments and it's like well it's not me it's him jamal is yeah. is such a good guy and such a good dude and i'm so happy that that galen and he galen opened some doors for us uh galen robinson the godfather of godfather, basketball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the nicest coolest guys and funny and i just didn't i didn't know that until this process started uh and he just led this credibility that helped us get in with with Jamal and Al Jamal is is all in, and I can't wait to see where it goes. But those essays were phenomenal. Absolutely, and it's going to be a good time to plug in our other show, Pod Slam and Jamma, on the Pod Slam and Jamma YouTube channel because Ryan Monsu Monsell, Ryan Monsell. <laughs> I got it. Don't worry. I don't, don't virtually slap me through the thing. Fifteen times. I got it. Times. <laughs> I got it. Um, but we did do a segment where we focused in on HOU NIL um, and talked about, you know, first uh, the first segment that aired this past week about the origins. You know, obviously launching GoCougs.com and that how that helped with HOU NIL. This upcoming segment um, is going to be focusing much more in on. Um, that aspect of working with the athletes like Jamal Shed to help craft um, a lot of the cool content because, again, what makes you guys unique is that you guys are creating content with the athletes, um, content that they themselves are excited for. Like you said, they're taking kind of ownership in that stake, which is uh, pretty yeah. cool, and it's a unique perspective from a name, image, and likeness at the University of Houston. But I do want to toss it over. Another question brought up by one of our viewers, and Chris Butler, he asked, what are the realistic expectations for this team a few years in the Big 12 Rumors of playing UT, Baylor, et cetera, in year one is not promising. Coach Hogerson even said uh, schedule will be eye, will be an eye-opener, which he did say this past Monday um, during his availability. So I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Um, Go ahead, Ryan. I'll let you take it first. Well, remember when TCU came in the league? They came off of 12 and 13 yep. win seasons yep. and came in. I think they went six and six their first year, and they struggled. And they had really good talent, really good, like, upfront talent. And that's where I think the biggest issue is going to be, is up front. Yeah. And you might have some defensive line talent that can compete in the Big 12, but can you do it on both lines? And when a guy goes down, is the sixth and seventh guy on that offensive line, is he Big 12 ready? And I think that's where you're going to struggle is that there's not the depth that you need. Uh, U of H will always have skilled position, like Deion said. There's always going to be that talent in this city. If there's anything that Texas does well, it's seven on seven. It's mm -hmm. throwing the ball. Mm -hmm. That's never going to be hard to find. Yep. But those guys up front, you know, those that top tier has been going out of state. 
And then the second tier kind of goes to UT. A&M's getting that top tier with all their money. And <laughs> U of H has to get on that, that, that top level of the next guys and take those guys from Iowa State and Kansas State and TCU. And if they can do that, yes, they can compete. Absolutely. You've got to do a lot of things around the program better. The facilities, I, I don't think are as big a deal as U of H makes them out to be. I think people in the stands would be a much bigger deal. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, I can't control that. And so I don't worry about that. Uh, but I think that the, the recruiting can be better. I think it will be. But we'll just have to see. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think um, the adjustment will be in the trenches, starting with the offensive line, um, the ability to protect um, the quarterback, whether it be Lucas Coley or whoever the quarterback may be. And I think that's the next second. Well, the I don't want to say the next most important, but the, the most important position, of course, is the quarterback. What kind of quarterback play will we see? But they can't do much without the offensive line as well. So they're kind of hand in hand. And so – We'll probably have one of the top running backs in the Big 12 when Ultima Caskill come back. And so hopefully they can clear some lanes. I know he'll be able to, to be effective because he's just that good of a talent. But I think up front is definitely, and not only that, the depth, like you mentioned, Ryan, uh, injuries are going to happen or players get tired or whatever the case may be. What's the drop off going to be like? But I got to give the coaching staff credit as far as recruiting in the portal. They've been able to recruit good in the portal for players that went to P5 schools who have that talent. So I think they have to continue that route for these first couple of years to kind of get some of those guys who have experience or may not have um, playing experience, but went to that level of talent to, and, and know that they, they can play at that level to bring them in like they did with, uh, with Cam Johnson, I believe who came from UT. And so um, mm-hmm. I think that's philosophy they can do. Like you said, skill positions, that's the least of my worries. But it's in the trenches on that offensive line. Defensive line, Houston has been good for the, over the last, what, five or six years. So I think defensive line, they'll still be good enough. But you got to have depth. You can't – and that's the one thing that Parrish gave us was depth because um, season didn't have to be a every-down defensive end. De'Anthony Jones, they didn't have to be a every-down defensive end. And so you also need that depth to keep those players fresh, to keep them um, at their peak, to be able to perform at their peak. And so – and also linebacker, that's a uh, Donovan Meaden is good. Now, I don't get it twisted. I'm not not a shot at him at all, but I think he's going to be gone. And so we have to be able to replace those linebackers and can tackle. Like we need really good linebacker play, and really just all around secondary. I can go on and on, but I think it's <laughs> definitely going to start in the trenches. I mean, if you can't get after the quarterback, you can sit back and they can just sit back and pick you apart. You think Mordecai did that? Wait till you get in the Big Twelve. You get to see some of these other quarter, quarterbacks and talents and receivers that they have. They'll be in for a rude awakening. And I mean, they got they got a taste of it early on this season with with Texas Tech and Kansas, and what those guys were having to do against Houston in particular. So I mean, they got they got a good taste of it. Now on the subjects of quarterbacks, in order to ask another question, which it's interesting to pose right now. Now that Houston fell, they fought a five and four overall, three and two in the American Athletic Conference, and really, I mean, they're not. T- 
mathematically eliminated from making the American Athletic Conference Championship game. But, it, I mean, the road is pretty, really difficult. Obviously, Tulane sitting atop the conference undefeated. You got UCF and Cincinnati both top 4-1. and one. Tulane's 5-0. and oh. And then now you're in a tie with East Carolina. SMU has a tiebreaker. And then there's Houston at 3-2. and two. So, for all intents and purposes, the, the big goal that they had for the season in terms of making that conference championship game um, is really slim at this point. So, in order to ask, with only three games left in the regular season, do y'all think it's time to give Arkansas transfer uh, Coley an entire quarter to get start getting him used to receivers? Do you start seeing a lot more of this going for the future rather than, you know, try to win every game if possible? Well, I don't see Dana doing that. That's just yeah. not uh, I agree. I, if, you, I if you think it's the right decision or not, Right, right, yeah, no, I agree. I you couldn't have said it even worse. Whether we think they should or not, it's not gonna happen. He's not gonna pull a Clayton. I mean, not that he should, pull and him. I don't think you should either. Right, right, right. Not to say, I, I mean, you've you got to be loyal to your guy, you got to, you got to. Yeah. That just goes well with, with the players. I mean, he got to see on his chest for a reason, and so you, you let him ride it out as long as he's able to play on the field, and so, um. Maybe a drive. I'd say a drive. Maybe you sprinkle them in a package. Uh, maybe a package. You get them a, a drive or so. Get that's them. Give them. Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, I, I can't go out and say you give them a full quarter. And um, I, I've been um, I want to see the young quarterbacks. And so Andy knows I want to see the young quarterbacks. But I, I still don't <laughs> think that you pull Clayton Tune for a, a quarter or so. Nah, maybe maybe a drive. I say give them a drive a game or something like that. Maybe maybe a driver too, but not not a not a full quarter. That's just that's like almost giving up. You don't you don't want to do that. No, if they have you've got a big lead. Yeah, sure. big lead. Oh, and you yeah, thought yeah. Uh, twelve hours ago you thought Temple was gonna come in here, you're gonna steamroll him, and that Coley and Holman Edwards could get some time. And then Temple puts up fifty four points today on <laughs> USF, who you just saw a week ago, and uh oh. So you've got a whole another situation. And then you go to East Carolina, which has never been an easy place to go. And yep. Central Florida found that out. And uh, U of H is lost there. And it, it's just a graveyard. Uh, and then you, you come home on that weird Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving weekend Saturday for Tulsa. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I just don't know. Uh, maybe you have time in the Tulsa game. I don't think you're getting to the the championship game. I just I didn't think it was possible with a win today, but I certainly don't think it's possible now. Dan, we're gonna say something. No, 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 no. I mean, I agree. I don't think it, I think it's possible now, but at the same time, you still. I mean, just we you don't just pull Clayton Tune, a healthy Clayton Tune, uh, unless he's just throwing picks or just something unforeseeable happens. Justifiable, but no, nah, you, 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 you keep yeah, right. If he played himself out of the job, that's yeah, one yeah, thing, that's but he has not done that. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he has. Absolutely. And especially in regards to, I mean, three game winning streak, he was playing on another level. He, I mean, he had won the American Athletic Conference uh, Offensive Player of the Week for the past three, three straight weeks. Um, <laughs> that's correct. I know he's won it for the past two. And then I'll tell you who's going to win it this week. <laughs> <laughs> Is it. It's probably that other guy on the other sideline. Yeah, so was quarterbacking for SMU. But um, and no, no, uh, I agree with with both of you guys, especially in in regards to to Dana Hogerson and how he approaches things. 
Um, but it certainly is an interesting question. And just overall, so we're about to wrap things up. Uh, once again, the final score, Houston Falls to SMU, 77 to 63, 77 points by SMU, a new program record for most points um, in a single game. And Tyler Mordecai, his nine touchdowns, his nine passing touchdowns, a new record, a new school record for SMU as well, um, which just goes to show how, how again, how bad of a you muted yourself, Andy. No, I mean, yeah, sometimes this is really sensitive. If you touch it, it changes. Um, but anyways, uh, like I said, 63, you put up 63 points. That's not enough. You still fall by two touchdowns, which, again, the difference in the game, which is crazy to think about, it was those two interceptions. But just closing it out, we'll go around. Dan, I'll go to you first. Just any final thoughts? on the game itself and, and the way the season's gone. So now Houston falls to five and four, which, you know, at best means that they can go eight and four. Um, what do you think? Um, final takeaways from this game and what Houston, what do you look for in the final three games? Um, I look forward for Clayton Toon to keep keep playing like he's playing. I've been critical of Clayton Toon in times during this season, but I also gave him credit when he's deserving credit, and I think he deserves credit for these last four games that he's played. And so I want to see Clayton Toon continue to play well, continue just to go out on a high note, regardless of win or loss. I hope he continues to play well and ends his Cougar career with – with in good graces and as far as playing well, I don't want Clayton Toon to go out playing bad and you pull Lucas. I mean, you put Lucas in. I, I want to see Clayton Toon going out on his sword. That's some, one thing I I, I want to say because tonight he um, took a big hit, came out one play, just showed his toughness, man. I I, I really like everything that, that he's brought to the program as far as um, just the leadership. And from a leadership, just quarterback, he, he he's done an outstanding job, man. I got to give Clayton his credit for sure. You can't say anything bad about his toughness. Yeah, the guy fights, yeah. and yep. I, I, he doesn't come out of games. Yep. He just he 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 doesn't. Uh, the thing I'm looking forward to most over the next three weeks of football season is that it's 43 hours from basketball season. <laughs> and, uh, I am. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I, I, I would like to see this team put a full game together, and I don't think they've really done that. No. South Florida it, it came close, but there's still some quarter. things <laughs> lacking. Um, but it would be it would be nice to see this team put it all together for a week, maybe two. And, and, you know, make that transition to a new conference a little better into recruiting season. Um, but, I mean, today just opened up a, a new Pandora's box about the direction of the program. And, you know, you've, you, you've taken some steps back and you made three steps going the right way. But, I mean, today did not look good. Yeah, absolutely, and I agree um, with both both of you guys. I think, um, in particular, what I'm going to be looking at next week is going to be how how the defense responds from such a performance. I mean, you can't, you, they've hit rock bottom. You can't really get much worse than that. Now, 
Um, I say that if Temple can put up more than 77 points, I will personally apologize for putting that out there. Um, but I, I think, you know, it, the all eyeballs are going to be on the defense and especially in particular, how does the unit respond to Duck Buck? Because, I mean, like I said, when you get hit, really with a knockout punch like that, it, it's kind of see what, what are you made of? How are you going to come back? How are you going to respond? Especially... Uh, from a unit that is led by leaders, in particular Donovan Mutant, I think they're they're going to respond well against Temple. So I'm, that's what I'm going to be looking for in particular, specifically uh, to next week. But that's going to do it for this episode of Let's Rage Cougs. Ryan, thank you for hopping on the show, being able to talk with us. Um, it, it was really I thought good there was going to be a lot more raging. Disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I thank you. I think the Astros win might have mellowed out the crowd because Perhaps. whenever. Really, after the the Tulane game, it's probably the closest I've seen to the comments raging in particular when it comes to the season. So uh, maybe they were mellowed out just a little bit. But thank you again, obviously, Ryan from Go Cougs. You can follow him on Twitter at Go Cougs 1 on Twitter, all lowercase, Go Cougs 1. And obviously, of course, be sure to check him out, GoCougs.com and H-O-U-N-I-L. He's doing a lot of great stuff when it comes to content uh, with athletes that, like you said, they are kind of taking ownership of themselves and they're creating their own content, unique content that you're not going to see anywhere else, just in particular from football uh, with the Anthony Jones, um, or not the Anthony Jones, or now I'm, I'm butchering. It was... Um, was it the Anthony Jones that wrote after the, the Kansas game? Yeah. After the Kansas game. So I have that right. I'm just going to let you keep going to how you We're did. We're going late, and I was going to try. I was going to say – I was just going to start listing off names, but I'm not that off. I do remember it was after the Kansas game. Um, and, Dan, I'm going to toss it over to you, sir. Where can people find you? You can find me on all social media platforms at Dayon Dunlap. Like Andy just said, make sure you check out Gold Cool. It's exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. And an inside look inside – the program um, inside the basketball football program that you won't see anywhere else. I haven't seen it. So it's very enlightening for me to see, keep doing a great job, Ryan. We can't end an episode without saying go Cougs. Go Cougs.